You know, one of the things research has shown in a few studies now, both the constraints led approach and differential learning is doing that, learning a skill that way. There's a couple of soccer studies, for example, actually reduces the incidence of injury because you're learning to move, do the same movements in all these different ways. You're not putting the same stressors on the joint, same joints and same body bones and, and, and things. So instead of, you know, having someone do the same volleyball spike a hundred times in practice, why not, if we add some random dude, jump off this foot instead, come from this angle instead, do a twist and they, you know, you're, you're yeah. giving the body different inputs. So um, not only is that seem to be beneficial for performance, also for injury prevention as well. That was Rob Gray. And you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, simplyfaster.com. There's two items I'd like to talk to you about today that you can find in Simply Faster's online store. Whether you're a coach or an athlete, these are both things that you'll find highly useful as tools in your training toolbox. The first is blood flow restriction training methods. And after hearing about blood flow restriction training for years now, as well as the results that athletes are getting with it, especially in, for example, lactate sports like swimming, 100 meter freestyle, and not only hearing of that, but also seeing how much some swimmers had liked that type of training method. I knew I had to start trying it out myself. So I've been utilizing the airbands. I really enjoy it, both the feeling while I'm actually training with them, as well as seeing the visual result of spending time training with the methods and then the strength result. They've been a really cool training tool, and I would definitely recommend checking into airbands. Simplyfaster.com also has B Strong brand blood flow restriction. The second item is the VMAX Pro, and this is a new option for velocity-based training barbell tracking. It provides valuable load-based data, including speed in all phases of a lift, and it delivers key metrics such as power, velocity, distance, as well as duration of effort. The VMAX Pro system measures any lift you can think of. It's portable, durable, and intuitive. You can check out these two items and much more at our sponsor, simplyfaster.com's online store. Let's get on to the show. Welcome to another episode of the show. It's great to have you here. In the world of motor learning, Sometimes we hear terms like differential learning, constraints-led approach, repetition without repetition, or dynamic systems theory. And occasionally, I think it can be easy to look at those terms as these just ideas floating around in space that for a lot of people, or even myself at one point, I had a hard time connecting those and, and having those hit the earth in this grounded uh, day-to-day training basis. As we learn more about how we learn, though, which everything is learning, even a bicep curl involves motor learning on the level of the muscle and managing fatigue in the muscle to a isometric hold to a 100 mile an hour fastball to reading and perceiving multiple defensive players. Everything we do as athletes involves learning. The longer I've been doing this, the more and more I appreciate that fact and the more and more shows I will do that involve these concepts. So whether you're a strength coach, a sport coach, an athlete, a parent, whatever element or area of the field you're in, how we learn is one of the most important things you can understand. I'm excited to have back on the show for the second time because we kind of ran out of time last episode, Dr. Rob Gray. Dr. Rob Gray is a professor at Arizona State University and the host of the Perception and Action podcast. He has been conducting research on and teaching courses 
related to perceptual motor skill for over 25 years. Last episode, Rob got into the constraints-led approach to movement versus the idea of teaching fundamentals. On this episode, he will go into the constraint-led approach's counterpart, which is differential learning. So we'll be talking about the difference between differential learning and the constraints-led approach and where each element or method of learning is more applicable. And then on the back end of the show, Rob will talk into ideas on stacking constraints, using games, exploration, turning the velocity dial as a constraint, so speeding things up, slowing them down. And finally, he'll get into the very promising results of his research showing the effectiveness of a variable practice model in baseball and how that allowed players to reach a higher level. So again, it really doesn't matter if you're on the strength side, the skill side. This is amazing stuff for all athletes. And there are definitely concepts here and principles that will plug right into what you're doing. I really enjoy the concepts of motor learning and learning more about this uh, wonderful aspect of our field. That said, let's get on to episode 312 with Rob Gray. Rob, thank you so much for coming back on. You know, last episode we got through, shoot, I, I got it here about five or six questions in over an hour and definitely didn't have time for the second half of my question list. So I really appreciate you coming back on and um, we'll get started here by uh, getting into a little bit more on differential learning. You know, last time we talked a ton on variability and the constraints led approach. And I'm just curious, how is differential learning, how is that different than like just the variability between reps or variable learning. Yeah. And, and we'll start. Thanks for having me back on, Joel. It's, it's nice to be back. Yeah. I think, uh, first of all, there's, there's a lot in common. Both the constraints that approach and differential learning are starting with the fundamental idea. There's no one way to do things. There's no ideal technique. You need to let the athlete explore and find their own. The way that I think of it, it is, and not, I don't know if everybody agrees with me, but this way <laughs> is, the constraints that approach is a bit more focused. You are trying to help guide the athlete. You have a rough idea of where you want them to be, and you're trying to gu- help guide them by adding a constraint. So adding a constraint, I just uh, recorded stuff where they were looking at weightlifting, how to do a clean and jerk properly. So one of the problems beginners have is they hold the bar, throw the bar way in front of them, which can cause injury and you lose a lot of momentum. So you want to keep the bar close to your body. So a constraints that approach would be to put chalk on your shirt. So that I'm adding and tell the person you have to get chalk on the bar. So I, I changed the task itself by adding something new to get you to do kind of the pattern that I'm looking for. But I'm not telling you how to do that. I'm just adding a new constraint. That's kind of the fundamental. Differential learning has the same kind of goals. But what we're going to do is instead of adding a constraint to push you in a certain way, we're going to make you do a different thing every trial. So it's, it's kind of random variability what, instead of focus variability. That's what I, the main difference. So in my example, maybe I'll get you to do different stances, feet close together, feet far apart, different shaped barbells, different surfaces, you know, different. So we're, what we're getting you to do is try a, a whole bunch of different things with the hope that you'll kind of learn the, your movement, how your movement affects things learn the solution space and find something on your own rather than trying to push you in a certain direction. Yeah, that makes sense. So basically 
the constraints that approach is almost more of a direct, more hands-on, like, okay, you have this, this is the flaw in your technique. Here's some constraints to help hone in on that. Whereas differential learning is almost more like kids on a playground. If that's, is it, would that be an accurate yeah, way? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the inventor of differential learning is Wolfgang Schulhorn and he, he, sometimes he doesn't agree with like when I say <laughs> this, but I, I think differential learning is more variability for variability sake, hmm. right? It, it's not trying. Another way to think of it is in a constraint set approach. I'm really trying to get you to move the way I want you to move in competition, right? So I want you to lift that barbell with the same way that you're going to do it in the Olympics because that's a, the effective way to do it. Whereas differential learning, I'm getting you to try things I never want you to do again, yeah, right? Yeah. So there's examples they have st- published studies on uh, speed skating where they ask the athlete to do a pirouette before they start where they start with one eye closed, one arm up in the air. Like, so there are things that you would never, ever want to do in actual competition. They're, they're there to add variability to get you to explore, right? So, so it's, I, I call it kind of variability for variability's sake. Um, you're adding kind of random perturbations to the movements to get people to, to try different things rather than adding them to get them moving towards a certain solution. Got it. So, I almost could view that as, well, I guess in the more specific sense, I guess in the general sense, I would think just running through a forest, like jumping over the logs and on weird pathways. And you're not running how you would if you were just in a flat out race. It's just good variability Mm -hmm. to expose yourself to all sorts of different movements. Or something I've liked doing uh, for a warm up, like in just running is instead of the drills and instead of even necessarily like a constraint that's kind of in the bandwidth of what you're going to do, I like to think of it in the sense of here's some like like mini hurdles and they're just at random distances or mm-hmm. there's here's some cones and they're just totally random distances and you got to bound through them and it's just going to be weird it's not going to be some of the strides might be kind of like competition but some might not it's just an interesting mm-hmm. problem to solve that kind of almost like like breaks uh, breaks uh, wider the nervous system i guess if that makes sense and yeah using yeah, that to prepare to mm-hmm, for sure and I think you gave a great example at the start. That's what kids, <laughs> um, well, my kids were been taking pickleball lessons. And one of the things the coaches do, I really like is the, the warm up at the start. They let the kids run around the court and the fur kid in front just does whatever he wants, skips, jumping jacks, sprints, hops, and the other kids have to do the same thing. So it's completely random what they decide to do. They're getting warmed up by just doing a bunch of different movements. They're not, okay, now stretch your hamstring, now stretch your arm. Like, it's not as coordinated as that. It's just, let's just move in random ways. So, um, yeah, so that's a good example for sure. Yeah, got it. That, yeah, that makes good sense. I, I've heard similar things like that, like for kids, like martial arts warm-ups. And it's just, it's just funny because I feel like, well, most, I think a lot of youth sport coaches, especially people who haven't been through the PE system, like they just don't. It's just drills. Like, let's just start with drills that are kind of like the sport. And there's nothing where it's almost like the same in some, it's kind of like the off season and in season too, like playing a different sport, something that's totally different for just for variability's sake, as well as other things. So that makes good sense to me. So what, yeah, what is your thought about that effect from playing multiple sports as well, where I think we sometimes look at it as like, there's maybe some shared characteristics, but then also completely different. So that I mean, that just fits in throughout the year as well. Then if you're playing multi-sports, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think you learn different movements and how to control your body in different ways. You know, yeah, like playing baseball, football, whatever it is. I think you there's some kind of commonalities. Um, 
you know, how to use space, how to transfer force. You know, there's some things, yeah, that you grasp between the different sports. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of diversification. I think it's good for a lot of reasons, you know, keeping kids engaged, fun. <laughs> but it also, yeah, it can definitely have uh, kind of some, uh, there's, there's this concept I talk about in the book, uh, donor sports, where training in one sport can help you better in your main sport, training in another sport. So, yeah, that, that definitely has some, some, um, some of that. Yeah. Would you also, I, I've heard like Boosh Exeter, track coach, talk about uh, on the days he's like going for big high outputs. It's, it's very simple. There's not a lot of variability. But when he's on his recovery days, he wants it to be as diverse as possible. And I would imagine that's where the variability for variability's sake is more like, would you associate that with recovery as well? Like, like I'm going to recover or mentally and physically from the really like intense thing. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I, you know, I, I like that overall general idea, kind of periodizing skill, right? Mm -hmm. So you're not always doing all these crazy things. You're not, you're right. If you really want to focus on achieving a specific performance goal, you'd never add all these (laughs) variations, right? Um, recovery. Yeah, I think it would be good. I think um, keep kind of break it up. And, you know, one of the things research has shown in a few studies now, both the constraints led approach and differential learning is doing that, learning a skill that way. There's a couple of soccer studies, for example, actually reduces the incidence of injury because you're learning to move, do the same movements in all these different ways. You're not putting the same stressors on the joint, same joints and same body bones and, and, and things. So Instead of, you know, having someone do the same volleyball spike a <laughs> hundred mm-hmm. times in practice, why not, if we add some random dude, jump off this foot instead, come from this angle instead, do a twist. And, they, you know, you're, you're yeah. giving the body different inputs. So um, not only is that seem to be beneficial for performance, also for injury prevention as well. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit, and I'm not sure how close this is you know, whether it's a constraint led or I feel like there's some gray area too, maybe mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah. like Bobby, Bobby White, who's a basketball coach and strength coach was having, I mean, he, if you look at his social media, he has athletes doing all these acrobatic skills in the air. And he had one post saying, I think it was like a criticism or a comment saying, Oh, you'd never do that in the game, you know? And like, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe not, but I think that even it's still variability for variability's sake, you know, it's still like you could almost warm up with, if you could even use those to warm up and just have like that almost non-specific diversity. I mean, of course it could be specific at some point too, but it makes me think about that as well versus yeah, again, just kind of a more like everything should be completely always completely relevant. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't blame people because sometimes we give kind of mixed messages. We give a message. There's this term we used all the long time specificity of practice, right? In order for trap practice to make you better in the game, it has to be similar to the game, right? That's the idea of specificity. And now we're saying but that you can do all these crazy things that aren't really all that similar. So it's kind of, it really depends on what you're trying to achieve, I think it is, is you have to be clear on that. And there's certain things that you want there. The, the other kind of thing that differential learning keeps is similar to the constraints that approaches, it keeps certain, it want, you, have, you have certain elements there. Perception, action, coupling, things in context, right? You would never do a differential learning thing where you had a person do a task on a computer screen, right? That's yeah. not differential learning. Mm. That's not for playing soccer. That's, that's something completely different, right? So, um, so there, there, there are certain things you want to be similar to the game, but the key point, it doesn't, not everything has to be similar, right? 
we want people to get better, we need to deliberately change things from the game, right? That's what coaching mm-hmm. is, right? Yes, exactly. Um, so, but yeah, I see why people come, you know, have that comment a lot for sure. Yeah. So in some ways, and just put like designing a practice, like in one session, would it be fair to say, and I, I've seen this a lot, like this seems to be a format that I find it enjoyable personally, is starting with, uh, let's say my sports basketball, like starting to war- warming up with a game like soccer, to warming up with soccer, like there's a differential learning and then you go into your practice and that's filled with constraints and like constraint led approach. I don't know how you cool down. You could cool down for, for a variety mm-hmm. of ways, but that seems like a, a pretty like, like a good flow, like looking at how it almost probably blends together. Would you say that's a kind of a good way of looking at a differential and then? Yeah, I think so. I think mixing them can be good. I, I, one of the things that was worked really well for me is kind of adding them together. No, oh, cool. <laughs> so I'll give you an example. So one of the things I worked for a lot of years on was getting baseball players to hit the ball in the air more hmm. right? with the way the baseball is now. You The more you hit it in the air, the more home runs you hit, the better. Uh, instead of what we were taught as kids, put the ball in play and hit, hit it on the ground. Baseball, if you're at high level, the fielders are too good. You're going to hmm. be out <laughs> and they shift now. So, so, but anyway, what, what would I used to do is I would add a constraint. We'd put a, a fence across the field or a barrier across the field and we tell you you had to hit over it. So that's a constraint set approach. I'm adding something to the task to make you move in a certain way. I'm not telling you, but I want you to get the ball in there. Sometimes I found athletes would struggle with that because they couldn't figure out, even when they did it successfully, they couldn't figure out why. What did I Mm -hmm. do differently to get the ball in there? So what I would do is add differential learning on top of that Mm -hmm. by saying, okay, now I want you to switch between different bat weights. I want you, now I want you to stand way up in the box. Now stand way back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I'll use a wide sense. So what I was getting people to do is try to fig, try to explore different movements to figure out what works and what doesn't to achieve this goal. So so I sometimes like to add them together like that. Or you know I think different practice sessions that you can do different thing different kinds of things. It's sometimes fun when the run if you work with kids and stuff. Sometimes it's fun to have the kids help make them up. Oh uh, yeah, come up with them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Either the constraints or differential learning. Come up with a new rule for soccer. Yeah, like it can be as crazy as you want, <laughs> and you have to keep your hands behind your head, or you know, it can be really that can be really fun, and it, it achieves some of the same things. So it kind of, I mean, the more I like learn about all this stuff, the more I look at, I look at that like the kids on the playground, and the more I think you realize that when you just let kids go, like Jeremy Frisch talks about, just let kids go and watch them, like when they're like making up their own rules, right there. They're inserting different differential learning automatically. Like they're making up their own rules. They're setting their own parameters. I mean, obviously at some point they're going to need some more guidance, but on that just basic like lower level, if you let them go, a lot of times they're doing the things that they need to in many ways and to like different, as long as it's not like this pristine like surface, a lot of times they're in different types of fields and different, you know, if it's baseball, there's maybe a different home run, like, you know, setting or Mm -hmm. whatnot, like. A lot of times that just comes just by virtue of, I, I forget if, I think it was this podcast we talked about like Brazil, like they have all the different, yeah. like kind of, yeah, there's some good, um, yeah, the, they play on beaches and rocky roads. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I think uh, we do as kids. Oh, I think you're right in pointing out, we need more to go beyond that. Like kids aren't usually going to become super elite on their own. They need some you know coaching and structure, but I do think, you know, I always talk about, I grew up playing hockey from Canada and we would just naturally you know, one team didn't have a goalie. Well, turn the net around or add a rule that you have to shoot it in the top of the net to score. Or, you know, oh, that kid's 
way older and better while they have to do this. <laughs> you know, kids are naturally good at playing this way and, and making up rules and adjustments and handling all the we the we only have two on three to play basketball. Okay, let's play make up a game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, we're very we aren't very good at that at kids and then we lose we feel like everything has to be super structured for some reason as we get older sometimes. Would you say, I'm trying to think of another example, how I can kind of think about how the differential and the variable kind of stack on top of each other. And I think about mm -hmm. one thing that always intrigues me is, especially from like being a track coach and looking at jump technique and stuff is watching um, like dunking, like just like pro dunking, the dunking element of basketball has really gotten, like it's really taken off in the same way that extreme sports has in some ways, you know, like the mm -hmm. tricks that people were doing that were amazing 30 years ago, like 11 year olds are doing now. Although dunking isn't quite like that because people are just too short. But uh, I mean, on a 10 foot hoop at least. But I, I'm always blown away by just the technical, how the technical self-organization that these athletes are creating for themselves. And I think it's a really good mix of what you're talking about on both ends. Because to me, it's like the constraint is how high is the hoop? Like there, mm -hmm. some days you might dunk on an eight foot hoop, a nine foot hoop. You go to a park and it's like nine, six and it's bent down a little bit. You know, those are always the good ones. I could really dunk on those. And then the differential, I guess, would be, well, I'm going to do a 360. I'm going to take off one foot. I mean, if you're playing a game, can you dunk on somebody or someone's going to come and try to block you? Like, that would be the differential then. And the constraint is like more just like how high is the hoop? Is it a wood floor? Is it a, you know, asphalt? Is that like a good picture of things? Like, is Yeah, that I think kind of kind of as a basic. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, the, the constraints, uh, you know, usually we think of constraints as like something a coach adds, like change, deliberately changing. Yeah, but yeah. I think like in terms of playground, for sure, I think that's a that's a good example of of adding the two together, adding some, you know, working around constraints with and adding kind of variability and exploration and creativity and things like that. Got it. So yeah. with, with all this, I think there's always like, there's always the poles in the sense that on one end, maybe on one pole, it's, that gets all drills. It's the, it's the youth sports coach that just puts out the cones and it's all perfect technique and do it this way. And then on the other end, I mean, what, when do we know that maybe we're getting too far away, if that makes sense? Like too much variability, too much differential. Because I do think it's important to always, that's, there's that pendulum, right? And we always got to come back to at least having that, that right train. Um, any thoughts on like, how do I constrain these constraints to the point that we're yeah, adapting uh, forward, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think, I think there's a couple of things. I think um, on, a, on a more individual level, I can always tell, you know, there's a kind of this myth out there that, using these very the differential learning constraints is just kind of set it and forget it, right? So I, I give you this task and I'm not allowed to step in or say anything. I just have to let you do everything, anything you want. That's not true at all. Like as a coach, you still want to be looking for certain things that you know that, that they need to be effective. Like, so I, one of the examples I, I get, I, I kind of done work with tennis players for a while now. And what I, used to do just like everyone is okay here's some drills to teach you the proper way to hit a forehand you need to hit it in front of you then you need to do it in an arc now what i do is i start with games hmm. and let kids play and 90 percent of the time they they'll if you design the game right they'll do that that stroke will just come out on its own but if it doesn't then i don't let them do what i keep doing whatever they want if they're hitting the ball way behind them and flat you got to step in and give them a new constraint or a new past to try to get them so that's one thing right um have certain i call them invariants key features that have to be there if they're not there then you step in as a coach on more a team level i always if you're doing something like small-sided games if the if the 
team's not really taking the op- if you're trying to design a constraint to make them pass more and they're not yeah, yeah. <laughs> like don't be afraid to stop like you just you don't have to let these things run and where they're not being productive i think um but it is it's way harder than uh the traditional drills right because we can't just measure how long it takes you to get around the cone we're asking you to explore and try different things so we have to be willing to recognize being more chaotic and unpredictable so yeah but those are kind of the things i look for yeah that makes good sense yeah just it's truly an art form in the sense that we're looking for it in the moment seeing is this is basically their intention and we're we're they're not able to cheat the constraint and to have a different strategy than what I intended as I'm coaching, like coaching being more constraint led versus differential. For sure. Yeah. And that's something I try to emphasize a lot. It's, these approaches are not an alternative set of drills, activities. They're a set of principles you apply to almost anything you want. But yeah, it takes a ton of skill from a coach to design them and to adapt them and adjust them, work with the players to to get their input, you know, what did you think about this and, and things like that. So yeah, it is very, it's, uh, I think it's much more fun, <laughs> but it does 100%. take a lot of skill from the coach for sure. hundred percent. Could you actually, would you mind going into some of those games specifically for tennis? Cause you know, if I end up playing my brother here in the next six months, maybe I can use, get some extra practice on my end. Right. But, but I mean, just to also just to help me kind of put this into like, see that in action, like what, if they're missing something, what are some of the things that you would specifically utilize or some of the games, examples of some of the games that you uh, came up yeah, with? Yeah. Yeah. Like ten, so for tennis, the biggest thing that's been shown to be really effective, especially with kids is what, well, you know, scaling the equipment properly. So mm-hmm. get balls that are lower compression that don't bounce as high, short, smaller rackets that are probably a further size. Um, so that leads kind of leads to better uh, swing the stroke unnaturally. And then, yeah, no, I just play with kind of the spacing. Do, you know, where you do like a game on half the court, have them, you know, do a kind of uh, rallying close. So adding kind of different constraints in terms of where you can play the ball, how you can hit it, but trying to keep it, you know, get them in and rallies as quick as possible. I think Um, different, you know, different, you can get into different balls eventually. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Uh, But, you know, so yeah, a bunch of different things. It kind of depends on what, you know, it, it, it's a challenge, especially if you're, you're with kids. You know, you can, I know it, you can come in and you have some really skilled players and then you have someone that maybe doesn't, hard, barely has eye-hand coordination, right? Mm-hmm. They barely contact the ball. And so trying to coach those two at the same time, come up with different things, that's the real challenge where, you know, it helps to have some, someone helping you and be able to pull that person out and do something different. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Lost Empire Herbs. If you would like to try Pine Pollen by Lost Empire Herbs for free with just the modest cost of shipping, you can head to justflypinepollen.com. Pine Pollen is one of four ingredients in the Phoenix formula, which is one of my favorite Lost Empire Herbs products, which also includes Shiliagit. I notice a really beneficial impact on my energy, my strength. I really enjoy Lost Empire Herbs company, their mission, and their products, and I know you will too. If you want 15% off your Lost Empire Herbs order, you can head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly. And again, for that free sample of pine pollen with just the modest cost of shipping, head to justflypinepollen.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I've seen that personally with uh, volleyball. Like I, I've been coaching a little bit of youth soccer. And after a season, I asked my daughter, who's 
five like hey what sport do you want to play next and she's like volleyball and i'm thinking like mm-hmm. five-year-olds in volleyball like the typical that <laughs> yeah. just doesn't work very well so i was yeah. talking to jeremy fresh a little bit and you know, of course we got balloons but i found um i found like an oversized volleyball on amazon mm-hmm. so i like i got it and it's like probably about 50 75 percent bigger than a regular volleyball super forgiving and oh she loves it and my three-year-old well, he's now four son loves it like he could still he could play and he had like unnecessarily dive for it on the carpet and but i almost feel like there's something good in that diving even when you don't have to mm-hmm. like i feel like it's almost like you see that um because he wants to make it more complex you know he wants to add that in i think there, i was like i think there's something good there to this but it wouldn't happen if we had like a little small volleyball we needed the bigger no one. no that's a perfect that's a great example and i think jordan the key is that you're not the t- old way we would do it right is use a regular regulation volleyball and t- let's go through a bunch of drills mm-hmm. to teach you proper how to set it and so that you can you can make it so that you can get some proficiency and which is unbelievably boring yes. your daughter probably went i don't want to play volleyball anymore but if you 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 switch the ball then they can actually start playing the game and get some of the basic you know things down so, so yeah that that that's a great example yeah i'm thinking about that just being in the more in the youth sports world now and i, I you talk with neighbors and it's like hey what kid, uh, sports are your children in and what are they and Youth football is flag football is really popular around here with like five year old like I've heard of four year olds playing flag football and I'm just like the amount of setup by parents in that it's just insane like you got to have a lot of it's all I mean these kids are not obviously capable directing any of the plays it's the parents who have to do almost everything and I just think if there if you could just invent it I'm almost I'm definitely the opinion at least for the most part not entirely but the more free flowing it is the better the more you don't have to set things up the more it's just going and it's just like bigger more forgiving you know balls or things that can just continue like it almost makes me think at what point how would you build up to football in a free flow i guess soccer right like and i don't know where mm. the donor when you start tackling people i guess rugby or whatever but yeah. it just makes <laughs> me think about what's the transition you know to that with a free-flowing perspective yeah i think you're you're right joel i think uh you know i think if you try to do proper football like if you keep giving kids no that's against the rules. Yeah, so yeah. You can't do that. I think they would not want to play very quickly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think um, the do- idea of the donor sport is, yeah, learning to move in space, learning to, so the, the, the term we use is affordances. It has some of the same opportunities for action, uh, learning to get away, get open. Uh, so, yeah, so I think, you know, soccer would be a good start for, for football, for sure. You're learning and running and passing obviously it's your, your feet but yeah um you could you could make like a soccer you know a, a simple throwing game and something like that so i think you know thinking about games that have some of the key elements but maybe not all the rules um and then slowly adding it i think that's a good way to do it yeah i think of it a little bit like like pole vault and track and field's an interesting one right because you have there's certain things you need to be able to do mm-hmm. before you can pole vault like you can't like if I took like a six year old and I said, I mean, you could like you could take mm-hmm. a stick and say vault the river, you know, like I've seen Michael Zwiefel doing that kind of thing in his actually it's funny. Now that I think about it, I was like, yeah, you could actually wouldn't this be a great I, I, I've talked about this way too many times in in the sense of like, I think I'm just kind of I get stuck on things like I'm really into motor learning now. I mean, I've always kind of been, but I think about it more and I I think about, OK, well, what's the, a great progression from youth up to this skill? So if you're going to teach pole vault, it could be like have a, you know, a 
dowel rod and vault over a river and then it just gets a little longer every or not a river mm-hmm. but like yeah. between two mats you know that's the river like <laughs> sorry i i say two mats in the gym and you find a way to vault over and then it just happens to get higher every year and then it happens to be a bar over it at some point and it's just fun and maybe you play tag and you have to get away doing that or something like that would be be awesome i feel like Anyways, this long story stories, yeah, like like you see that volleyball, and it's like it's so much fun. Like I can't imagine even in soccer, I'll walk out off the field and I see like it's like a ten or twelve year old team, and there's like lines of ten kids, and it's one kid at a time. The the kid the coach is like throwing the ball one at a time, and the kids have to just kick it back. I was like, this is the most boring drill. <laughs> like like how long should the line be before like no like this is too much? <laughs> yeah, you know, this is not. This is just boring at this point. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, I think, Joel, I think there's great points. There. I think one of the things that bothers me a lot is I think we're we're doing a lot of this with the idea that we have to move everyone towards elite sport yeah. end point. Like everyone in volleyball, we have to teach you all the proper ways to move and set like you're going to be on the Olympic team. Why can't we just have some kids learn that moving around and playing around is fun and maybe later in life they end up playing in the rec league in the beach and, you know, instead of learning, I'm not good at this, I'm uncoordinated and never touch it, go near a volleyball court again. Like if if we teach them to learn and move and have fun instead of here's how you have to do it to be, not everybody can be elite. Like, yes, I know. Like it just, the, the, everyone, the idea of you do have to master these set of fundamental skills or we can't let you play is, or we kick you out of it is really you know, it's sad in a lot of ways. hundred percent. Like Jeremy Frisch yeah. had this post on Twitter. It was something like, why are all youth sports like clubs called elite now? Like you look at, yeah. And it actually that I think that adds to that mentality and that that, you know, you've been on Rafe Kelly's podcast and I, and he talks about that in the sense of like we it's like if you don't play a sport, then you just forget about movement for your yeah, life, life yeah. pretty much. And it's just, oh, I'm just going to go on the treadmill or the elliptical and, you know, just put in my time and burn my calories and I'm out. And that's not fun nor sustainable for a lot of people. And we lose on we lose out on a lot of just being human and having fun and moving. And so. Yeah, if we just took a lead away, even I feel like that would help us. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, the idea of like under ten elite, is like, <laughs> yeah, is ridiculous. Yeah, this but, eight-year-old team uh, elite. Yeah, yeah, and the couple competition, you know, and, and parent, you know, like you mentioned at the start, parents really feed into this, right? They all want their kids to be the next great athlete, and kind of <laughs> this machine industry of kids' sports that make so much money. So, um, but yeah, it, it's tough. It's. Uh, you know, like race, for example, like parkour is like, we, we never like, that's just a weird thing. These really super fit people do, right? Yeah. Um, it's not something that you would encourage, even though that's really what kids do it on the playground, naturally. <laughs> if yeah. you let them, they jump between things all the time in different ways. Um, but we kind of don't foster it in any way or grow, help grow it. Yeah. yeah, or they play tag on the playground and chase chase yeah. tag parkour. Like that's the most yeah. exhilarating thing ever. I think if you if you get an opportunity, like when I went um to Return of the Source with Rafe, we played chase tag in the woods with these mm-hmm. huge like fallen logs that were also like hurdles, and you could like run on the logs, and it's basically like being a kid again, but in a huge like nature size uh, mm-hmm. arena. And I just remember we did it in a stream once where you're we playing tag with all these huge rocks, and I was like, there's so much information here, like. There is so much like excitement here. Like this is like what I do when I was a kid, but it's even, it's even more like, it's even crazier. Like it was, um, it was really intense. And I just felt like, yeah, I was like, this is such a great breeding ground for all these things. Yeah, no, I think so. And I think, you know, it'd help if we want to get really, it would help health later on in life. If people were kind of taught the, how much fun it can be. 
yeah. um, instead of beyond being an elite uh, and a professional athlete. <laughs> right? There's a lot of fun things you can do with movement. Yeah. Yeah. And even in the process of those people who do make it to the elite, I feel like they could, I mean, maybe be a little better, but more so to me, I feel like have a more fun and sustainable journey throughout mm-hmm. their elite years and even i was just talking about uh this on a different podcast like steph curry there was like a video of him he like starts at like the free throw line he makes it moves back to the three-point line makes it keeps going back just just great you know crescendoing back he's like having fun you know like it's like <laughs> yeah this this yeah. differential i mean is he going to shoot it from half court again no but it's like it's just different it's almost like differential at that point i guess it's just kind of fun and variability for variability's sake because you wouldn't shoot from out there i mean i guess you could some people do but i mean yeah. way out there it's um yeah it's just it's yeah, just no, people he's not grinding fun. out the same shot over and over yeah, yeah he's having fun yeah yeah sure. it's you know all this stuff too I, I do actually want to ask you a question that probably would be more applicable and i love talking about this stuff i mean part of it is because i do have children who are, are in this landscape but also I, for anyone, whether you work with high school or college or pro or wherever, or if you're just on the, a lot of people listening to this are on the physical prep side, it's really important, in my opinion, to see the more you see of the whole journey, I think it's really valuable. Uh, but also, I think even in the, like, even in the gym, in, uh, it was a Michael Zufel and Sean Michigan, Tyler Yerby's course and their little weight room uh, piece, which I really liked. They talked about, um, like, exploration movements, like, here's a bear crawl, but it's explore bear crawl. So you can just do whatever groundwork you want to do and they'll do it like in between sets or as a warm up. I mean, that would be, or like we're going to warm up for squat, but just you can play around. You can do a wide stance, a narrow stance, a lateral, lateral squatting. I mean, that would all be differential, right? Cause it's, it's not really mm-hmm. the squat or the movement or the crawl the coach necessarily would have you do, but it's just, and, and I also feel like the, well, the weight room isn't the sport anyways. So, <laughs> you know, in mm-hmm. so many ways, like it's, I think there is potentially even more room for exploration as long as you're, you know, honing to the big rocks and the, the tension and the tensile qualities you need to get out of what you're doing. Um, but I, in terms of a lot of what we do in there, I think it's important to think, well, in so many ways, this is differential learning anyways. Like, like, so. Mm-hmm. I think, it can be for sure. Yeah, yeah. If you do it the way those guys do it, I think in. I think it just, you know, you're preparing your body better. You're learning about your body. You know, the way we do things, like we we get you to do these very <laughs> exercises with very strict, keep your mm-hmm. knees over your toes, you know, you have to do this. And then you go out in the field and you extend way over here and you get hurt. We wonder why, right? Yeah. We never learn, teach you how to, to distribute the force over there and do this where we could be. Uh, in the gym for sure building up and, and building up so much more than just bench press or you know yeah. like um learning to control force learning to you know uh, balance and stability those are so much you know especially like you're being stabilizing your body with forces is so important and we get so little experience learning how to do that we really don't push it very hard where we keep everything super safe and you have to do it this way. So yeah, no, I think we could do a lot with that too and connect it nicely with this, the more skill focused variability for sure. Yeah. In the world of the, the, I guess the constraints and differential learning too, in some ways of looking at it, I mean, I guess maybe some of these are a little bit, there's a little bit of gray, but like in the gym, like the constraint would be basically like the, the lift and then the weight on the bar, right? Like those are my, and then the, the differential learning could be, we'll try this lift with this wide stance, this narrow stance, maybe, 
um, you know, like, like kind of your positioning, playing around with your positioning and things like that. Would that be a way of looking at the gym in that respect or? So, so yeah, it can be. So the way that I would say it is, you know, so yeah, all the, the tasks start with some basic constraints, like uh, how much weight there is, um, you know, but as a coach, you could use wider stance as a constraints led approach. So I, Mm. something the person's doing, they're off their, their stability is poor. So I want you to use, I'm going to add a constraint that you have to touch these two barriers. So, you, so that's a constraint because I want, I'm adding a wider stance because I want you to move, solve a specific problem or move, move in a certain way. Uh, a differential learning approach would be more every time you lift the weight, I want you to use a different stance. Ah, got it. Got so, it. You know, so you're, you're not adding it to get rid of or address the specific issue. You just, add, I want you to try Kind of like the way you're mentioning with Sean and, and Tyler, like try it this way, then that way. <laughs> and often yeah. in differential learning, you often give the person instructions about how you want them to do it on every. So on this one, I want you to close one eye, <laughs> hold your arm behind your back. This, Yeah. So, so it's kind of that. Yeah. I, I, when you say that, it makes me think about something how I really like using the differential then in the, in the gym perspective, or maybe just the more like, if sport being really chaotic and open, right? There's a ball flying around like the gym or even track. There's less, there's less craziness <laughs> potentially, unless you're like running in like a wind, st- a hailstorm or something. But um, with that, I feel like uh, something I actually saw from a uh, tennis physical prep coach, Gil Reyes who worked with Andre Agassi when I visited him in Las Vegas was he did these things. It was like five, five, fives. And let's just say it was like a, like a hip flexor exercise. He would do, if you do five, like really slow, like just slow controlled reps and then five like faster and then five like really fast around a rhythm or something like that. And I was just talking with um, Rob Assis, the idea of like a, almost like a, and I've seen this with vertical jump too. Like it's like a game Now you could do this with weights too, but like for, it's like you're on a jump mat, first jump, do 20 inches, then try to do 21, then try to do 22. And like, you're just going a little bit higher. And that game is an amazing warm up for actually jumping as high as possible too, where it's like, Here's a game and we're playing with max effort. We're playing with velocity and then almost like primes you to be on all these levels and then you get a higher output versus, you know, just max everything on the way to warm yeah. up, you know, like yeah. that kind of and thing. Right. First start. Yeah. No, it's kind of setting, building up the goals for sure. Yeah. I think that in the intentions, that's another thing you can play with for sure. Cool. Yeah. Just, it helps me to kind of, yeah, to be able to get these categories. Here's the constraints. No, and no. Here's the yeah. Differential and you're right. Inside. It's a little gray, gray area, but, um, you know, I, that's a, the way that I kind of think of them. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, okay. So back to, uh, I guess like, like when do you know the extremes, right? Like when is this, I guess not so much, when is it too much variability, but more so like when did that not work? I'd like to ask you, uh, your take on, um, the innate ability for athletes to figure it out themselves in the sense of, let's just say back to variability. Like I come up with this constraint. And maybe it's a single athlete. It's not, not even like a team thing. Single athlete made him a constraint. Didn't work. <laughs> like, like mm. where, where does the athletes problem solving? Like, like how do we, and how do I frame this? How do you know that it's the athletes, uh, something to do with the athletes problem solving ability, if that makes sense versus maybe just wrong constraint. Do you ever go into, Hey, we're going to keep the constraint but mm-hmm. maybe you need to frame it differently or there's an analogy or does that make sense? Like kind of getting yeah, into that. For sure, yeah, for sure. For um, sure. That I think you, it, this is, you know, as a coach, you kind of got to diagnose, you know, what are they not doing? 
why how are they not adjusting to this constraint and um yeah adding a uh you know even with the small side games and team, team sports like you you maybe set up a, a thing because you want them to reverse the ball to the other side of the field more often and they're not doing it as a coach i think you can step in and kind of point out <laughs> you know why don't you try that you're not correcting and telling them this is what you have to do um as a coach, you know, why don't you try dropping your shoulders a bit more? You know, you know, it, it sounds like a bit like what we were kind of trying to avoid, but just to give people a little or an analogy, analogy is even better, right? Um, you know, and, and it's like a tennis, we say, you know, swing like a rainbow. Or, or if you're doing like a drop top, imagine you're an elephant, right? You're trying to get the movement through an analogy for sure. So, yeah, you can, I think adding in, you know, in the, I like to think of instructions as just another constraint. Yeah. Cues are just another constraint you're adding to help guide the person to explore different things. But then, yeah, I, th- I think if, if I can think of different, another constraint that kind of achieves the same thing I want, um, sometimes I'll move to that. If the person's really not, not grasping it at all, um, then yeah, you don't want to stay with it forever, <laughs> for sure. Um, or, you know, drop it for this session and come back to it the next day. Um, you know, I think, I think it's, um, it does happen sometimes for sure. What do you think of, I've just had this discussion on a few recent podcasts. So in terms of constraints are almost like, it's almost like constraints within constraints. It's like a dream within a dream. Like what was that <laughs> yeah. that movie? Like <laughs> Inception. Yeah. Inception. Yeah, exactly. Like we're just going like down all these layers into it. And so it's almost like, yeah, if you have your constraint and then you have your cue within a constraint. What's your thoughts on uh, like velocity? Like, let's just say it's baseball and increasing the like the pitch velocity or just playing with uh, Bobby White talked about speeding up drills, like ma- actually making the drill faster than it should be. And there's your constraint or something like that. Do you have any thoughts on on that, like manipulating velocity, like as in you're trying to make things happen? I guess a small sided game does right with passing and decision making. Yeah, but. yeah, for sure. Some t- or time, like giving people less time is a, is a good constraint to manipulate. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes those work great because what what another way that I like to think about it is constraints you're trying to incentivize the person's body, right? <laughs> you're trying to create a situation where what they're doing now is not working, right? So they got to try something different. You're you're trying you're not telling them the solution, you're trying to incentivize them to try something different. And sometimes when you speed the pitch up or give them less time, they just won't work. If you have a big hitch, you, you move your hands around a lot when you swing you start with them really low, you're never going to get to the ball. So you keep missing and missing and you have to try something different and you, you get, it encourages you self-organization. It can be great as long as it doesn't just lead to people giving up and, you know, yeah. not, not having any success. So you, you have to kind of achieve a balance like that. But, um, and, and, and Franz Bosch talks about a lot about this when you really ramp up the constraints, like high velocity, short times, high force, it, it really reduces the amount of things, the solutions you can do, right? Yeah. So if a person can't find, is really struggling to figure out how to do something, sometimes those things will like, there's not that many options, <laughs> right? Um, it, like in baseball, if you're trying to throw as hard as possible, there's only so many ways you yeah. can do it, right? You just, you can't try just anything. Whereas I just say, if I just say, get the ball over the mound, you could throw it underhand, left hand, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so over the plate, um. So, yeah, um, I think that those can be very good. They can kind of push people. But as long as it's not too far beyond what they can handle. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about different skills with how many 
solutions are there? I mean, I, I'm trying to think right now just on a level of like things that everyone could kind of resonate or most people on the show would resonate with. It's almost like, like a basketball hoop. Like if you're trying to dunk, when that hoop is you know 10 feet, maybe I can just do jump off one leg in one hand. Like that's my only solution. Take it down two more inches. Okay, now I can do like six solutions to, to solve the you know, dunk it and take it down to six feet and I can probably do a hundred different, well, hopefully that'd be pretty cool if I could do a hundred different solutions. But <laughs> it it's interesting to think about it that way. And it almost, it kind of, almost kind of like opens things up on some level. If I was maybe like the flow of practice, it's almost like moving from more solutions um, to less. I know when I was um, coaching high jump, sometimes I would open practice with just saying, all right, um, I, I may have been, I might've been too rigid. I probably, cause I, I think cause I gave the solutions, like we start with the low yeah. bar. It'd be mm-hmm. like, if these guys could jump, you know, two meters, we started at the bar at like one meter 40. And I would say, all right, do a tuck jump, do a scissor jump, do a this jump. And if it was me now, I think I would just say, all right, we're going to warm up and the bars at this and show me 10 different ways. You figure out 10 ways to jump over it. And then yeah. we'll go up a little bit and then maybe make it a little bit different. And then maybe make a little bit, di- you know, and maybe I could put a timer on it too. Maybe it's like, all right, you have to get over this so many times and X, you know, that's a constraint as well. And then as you keep going up the the solutions become less and less and less yeah i i think i think that's a great example i think joel that you you doing yeah show me 10 they all have to be different show me 10 different ways of getting over the bar i think like a large part of the all of this is being no having the why in mind right yeah so when you do that you're not trying to get them to jump a certain right you're getting them to learn about their body how their body moves relative to the bar and try to you know a body awareness you don't really care if what they learn is is going to work at a real <laughs> like yeah. you'll get to that later and then you add the constraint of height you're trying to push them then you want to filter out some of those right uh you, that's never going to work because you're not transferring enough force from the ground you're never going to get that high mm-hmm. so that barrel roll or whatever you did when it was really low okay well that one will drop out so um, so the, at that point, the why is to get them to have certain features of, of the, the movement that, you know, what you need to get over the highest. Right. So, yeah, I, I think that's a good way to think of it for sure. Yeah. I wish I would have learned actually, I, like I, sometimes I think back to what would I have changed about my experience in track as a younger athlete, like mm-hmm. eighth grade, ninth grade, and almost, uh, cause I actually think that I, I probably jumped pretty close to whatever my genetic potential is. I actually think once I was in college, I mean, I, I got up there to about, I think I always joked that I was the most unathletic person to jump seven <laughs> feet ever. And I mean, I don't not, I'm not like, I guess in the grand scheme of things, I mean, relative to all other people who high jump seven feet, I was probably not as fast, not as strong, not as, you know, built as springily or whatever, whatever that word is. Um, but I do think that if I could go back, I would have, cause like my straddle high jump was garbage. Like some of the other ways that to jump over the bar were not very good. And I would have done, um, I would have started hurdles, track and field hurdles a lot earlier. I would have think I would have done, you know, I, I watch, um, Stefan Holm, it's funny, I've probably mentioned him twice in the last three podcasts, but a well-known Swedish high jumper, he's like 5 feet 11, jumped 7 feet 10, like one of the best like efficiency jumpers of all time, height overhead. And there's a video, actually, I should put in the show notes, He's um, it's called like the six degrees of jumping. He's jumping over the bar like six different ways, and each one he can get a little higher. You know, the first one he does like wow. kind of a front flip over it with like six feet, and then he puts it up a little bit and he does a different kind of jump. And I'm Back when I first saw that back in the day, I just didn't pay too much attention. I was like, oh, I guess he's just really likes high jumping all these ways. I, I didn't, nothing connected. And then <laughs> it's like, oh, like it's it's all part of that ability to learn from all these and, and, and just have variability 
you know, and then mm-hmm. to be able to put this final technique together. Whereas I, I just don't think I ever really, I don't think I've really looked at it that way. So if I could go back, I think I would have changed that about my yeah, early training no, for sure. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I just, someone saw, I can't remember what I saw, I saw a video, I think it was yesterday, someone, it was this group of people, they were doing this task where they had to, kind of like the Ninja Warrior where you have to scale, it oh, was yeah. a mat on a wall, they had to jump, scale, and stick a post-it note up as high as they could. Oh and yeah, I see the, like that, yeah. The progression of people, the way that they saw, you know, they went from kind of running up to jumping and launching, like as they saw the next person get way higher. It was, it was interesting to eat. So I think within yourself, you could, yeah, you learn kind of the same, um, but you never do that. Right. If you, if you're doing, okay, here's how you get uh, as high as possible. Um, it's almost better if the athlete finds it themselves, even if it was the way you would have told them to do it anyway from the start, you know, cause they learn, how to change it, how to adjust it, why it works, the kind of things like that, for sure. Yeah, I had, um, I mean, I didn't actually train in uh, Anatoly Bondarchuk's, the track coaches group, but I, and, I, and Kibway Johnson was on this podcast, but a recent uh, podcast or chat I had was Andrew Schaaf, and he wrote an article called Push the Hammer, and uh, he's a swim coach with a strength and conditioning background, and basically it was like, Bondarchuk, he didn't speak English well, and from what he wrote, like a lot of times it was just, if people asked for feedback, it was just push the hammer. Like it was kind of ambiguous and it's almost mm-hmm. like, but then they would eventually learn themselves and get there. And it's like, that's it. You push the hammer. <laughs> it's like the Zen riddle <laughs> instead of being yeah. like, Oh, you need to do this and this and this and this and this along the way. And that's actually something I've been thinking about is having, it's almost like in my, like every coach I think has these cues they come up with over time. And a lot of them are just standard. They're like small, very simple. I feel like I have control over this problem. Like things we say, like, I mean, how hard is it to say knee up, peel up, toe up and running? Like that's the easiest yeah. thing in the world. Like, and it, in my opinion, it actually doesn't solve a lot of problems because when you actually have horizontal velocity, it's just different. Um, but I, I'm thinking about more about having these almost like slightly more ambiguous coaching terms that it's they're, they're with the intention of the athlete having to figure it out and, and being okay with that, not feeling like I have to give something to everybody that is like this discrete, oh, this is going to solve your issues or Cause it's not me. I'm not solving your issue, you know, your technical issues. It's you who is, uh, and so I've just become a lot more aware of that. It's like this, I need to get out a notebook in the morning and start kind of writing these things down. Like, uh, how can I make this a little bit more ambiguous sometimes (laughs) and not always feel like I I need to do that. I think, you know, there's lots of, you go to the focus of attention research and all, you know, stuff Nick Winkleman talks about, you know, just the act, the swing like a rainbow, run like an elephant. Get you thinking about the outcome, the rhythm, the pattern of your movement, not what your knee is doing, what what your toe is doing, which we know we don't want you thinking yeah, about yeah, yeah, whether exactly. your toe is pointing up or down. Yes. We want to think about whether your path is an arc, right? That's a much better way to get people. And you're right, giving that's something really underrated, you know, understudied, and then we don't think about is how athletes interpret the cues <laughs> we yeah. assume as a coach everyone's gonna be exactly on the same page um as me when i say swing like a rainbow but they have they have their own interpretation of what that means to them and how they do it how they achieve it so yeah that's a good point yeah i think that'd be really funny though like all these you know tennis kids coming to camp and the only feedback they hear is swing like a rainbow <laughs> and then maybe at the end you did it <laughs> you, yeah. you did it yeah we'll tell you anything else it's it's one of the challenges i've you know a lot i work with a lot of coaches using these methods and one of the challenges to overcome is the parents like they pay all this money yes. and you're like you do an elephant and they're like 
funny. And, and they're playing like silly games where um, the one that, you know, the ones that my kids play, they play this game jail where you hit the ball and someone other, on the other side tries to catch it. <laughs> Your parents are looking, what are you? As opposed to nice drills and lines. And you're giving lots of instructions about how to position your arm and leg. That just sounds better. It sounds like it should work rather than letting kids do it on their own. You being quiet most of the time. You know, so it is a bit of a challenge. I kind of have to educate people and set their expectations. Yeah, it it just reminds me of the saying, the best things in life are free. And I think sometimes like... It's like even like breathing, you know, you go to go to like on like a breathwork class or something like, hey, air is free. Like, you know, <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, or, But, you know, of course, you pay to go to the breathwork class to be taught to do something your body can already do, obviously. But uh, it's, it's just interesting to consider. Um, so one last uh, question here before we round out our time. And this is uh, this actually goes back maybe to variable learning a little bit. And I I don't think we went into this on our last talk. So I would like to just touch on it is long-term development in these things. Um, and if I asked you this last time, I mean, maybe you could answer it in a different way. I don't, I don't think I did. And that's the idea of, um, in your book, um, How We Learn to Move, you talked about baseball players like at a lower level, maybe it's 15 years old, and they track them year to year to year based off how much variability they were getting. And mm-hmm. they found out that the ones who were like could make the college or the next level, there was a certain thing, there was something that had to happen with them specifically with variability uh, could you just share a little bit about that? And because I just think about, you know, I, I love talking about youth sports and I think people who work with college or high school, are like, ah, oh, whatever, I don't want, but it's like, it's all connected, like, and it's really mm-hmm. important. And so, yeah, could you show a little bit about that study and how you look at like just baseball training, for example, in, in light of um, that study and variability? Yeah. So that, that, I think that was one of my studies actually, where we kind of gave people different levels of variability in training and kind of tracked how they, they, um, developed to whether they made it, got drafted, made to the pros. And we've had a clearer benefit of kind of adding variability. So yeah, I say like with the developmental cycle, there's a couple things that I think are the essential for one. One is, yes, scaling up the availability. I think it's important to recognize at the start, you can't add like a ton of different, a ton of different variables and think these kind of things we've been talking about because most athletes are going to show up with their own invariability. Like they're really inconsistent. They don't know what to do. So if you drop in different bat weights and spin, spin mm-hmm. velocity and all this, they'll be overwhelmed. Yeah. So you want to start simple and then add it. And then the other thing that I've just seen really separates is, you know, that it, the, it's the basic fundamental idea of Erickson's deliberate practice, it's working on specific, having the why of practice. What am I trying to work on? on this set of swings and batting mm-hmm. practice. Like um, the big difference I've seen with the really great athletes, the uh, lesser skilled athletes just go up, okay, I'm just going to swing and hit 20 pitches. The, le- the good ones say, okay, I'm going to work on not swinging at pitches that are outside. I'm going to work on doing this. They have a specific intention. They're trying to improve something they're not good at. Right? They're, they're, they're being progressively adding practice to achieve something, not just going through the motions of let's do another hundred reps. Let's mm-hmm. do, you know? Yeah. Um, so those are the two big things I see, you know, as you develop and you build kind of progressively adding the variability. Um, I think it, it also kind of takes the shape of, you know, exploration, finding a solution like in, in high jumping, right? You would, you want them to explore, find the solution. And then once you work with a better athlete that has the basic pattern, then you're adding variability to kind of, get them to optimize it. 
what slightly better way could they, they do the run up to get more force and, and things like that. So, so yeah, I think it's going through this progression and always kind of working on, you know, challenging yourself, ask, doing, having the why of practice. What am I trying to work on that I can improve? Yeah, that makes sense. So like, yeah, within high jumping specifically too, like if I took, uh, I mean, I guess if the constraint is the typical Fosbury flop style, because when differential, was, mm-hmm. uh, there's like all sorts of different ways that I guess are, you know, you could run and do a flip over it. That's more differential. It's not how you'd actually do it. And But if I had a young athlete and it's like, all right, I want you to do like I, I would like using I like using constraints on the approach. Like, all right, you're going to bound. Here's some two cones halfway in the approach. And I want you to bound between these cones. You build momentum and then run and jump or, you know, th- different things like that. Or even like one thing I used to do when I hurt my hamstring was just hop on one leg all the way to the bar and hop over and mm-hmm. flop over off one leg. And like, but if I asked a total beginner to do that stuff, they would get overwhelmed. Like, it's just too yeah. much. Mm-hmm, uh, sure. so in like baseball for example like i guess you like vr baseball right like if it's a more of a novice player and it's all sorts of crazy pitches all over the place would that like be too many like you would want to say maybe here's like three pitches and you have to learn or maybe just two and then it's occasionally going to be outside it's occasionally in and you just have where the intention is to learn to swing at good pitches versus if it's like six different pitches maybe that's too much information like would that be kind of accurate yeah to- that that's exactly what we did in the kind of my study we um had it. Like you started off with a cu- only a couple different pitch types. They all kind of went down the middle and they, it wasn't a huge range in speed. <clears throat> and then as you got some success, those things started to change. You got more variability in speed, location mm. type. And so we kind of built on it. Yeah. You kind of have to, yeah, both for their confidence and just to, you know, uh, to performance, you have to kind of let them build and at least start like, like, and then it, it's example. We went, but going back to the volleyball, using getting proficiency playing with a super light oversized ball um and then adding the the, the regulation ball as you get later on um i think is definitely the way to go cool and then that finally that um the study you did like what led to the who was the most successful or what led to the most success or i guess or was it your study against like a a group that had less variability just quickly before you get out of here yeah so what i did i basically had four so what i did was i took high school players um, and I had, I think there was four different groups. Um, well, one of them was just a control group that just did the regular baseball practice. Um, the other, there was another group I gave extra batting practice. So uh, once a week, they would come to a cage. We'd go through and it was, it was traditional batting practice where they're hitting off a machine that was throwing the same speed basically mm-hmm. every time. Uh, and then I had a VR version of that. And then the group that did the best was the one that I just described. They they had extra batting practice, but what it did was it added variability in pitch type, pitch speeds, pitch locations progressively as they got better mm-hmm. and better. So, uh, what I what I what I think VR is good for is not recreating the world real world so much, but you can add things like adding variability to practice is sometimes difficult, especially working with a lot of players. Um, also challenging people at the right level. So I would have to get a pitching machine and run and change all the settings. Oh yeah, <laughs> too, yeah too much. Yeah. yeah, so in VR, I can do that easily. Right? I can just program it to learn, to adjust to you at your performance. So so that's what we tried to do. So the group that got more variable conditions uh, ended up doing better in the test after the study. They did better in the next season of high school in their batting statistics. And then we just followed them and they got drafted more often and, wow. made, and things like that. So yeah, it was, it was a long, it took a long time. It took me 10 years wow. to do the whole study, 
Um, but it, I think it turns it is interesting result. Yeah, super. Yeah, I love reading about that in your book. It's really cool stuff. And I think it kind of it's, it's a good um, the capstone in a way to the this little two part series we did on the differential and the variable learning and kind of putting that all together. Like, look, when you do it right, and you have an intention, you stretch just this much, then that can be the result at the end. So very cool. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another show. It was great to have you here. If you enjoy what we're doing, you can help us out by leaving us a rating or review on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to. I would totally appreciate that. We'll see you all back next week.